If you have your Bibles, we're turning to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Let's pray just as we turn to God's word. Acts chapter 16. Amen. Father, we ask for your help, for your anointing, Lord, both to preach and to hear your word this morning, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up. Lord, even as we have heard, Lord, that there would be a mighty baptism in this house this morning of the Holy Ghost and power in every life, Lord, without exception, Lord, that you would save, that you would deliver, that you would fill with the power of the Spirit of God, for we know this is your promise, this is your will, this is your purpose for your people. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, let faith arise in our hearts, and Lord, may we may we grasp the truth of your word. Lord, we pray this morning that Jesus would be glorified in our vessels, every life in this church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Just as I'm sure in this morning, I suppose, I'm not sure whether this is a preach, a teach, or just sharing from uh, my own heart, and it'll probably be a mixture of all those things. But, uh, you know, when... In preparation for to bring what God wants to say, obviously you spend, as the preachers will tell you, you spend time and you pray and you wait on the Lord and you're waiting for him to speak and to give you the word that he wants to say. And that can happen in many different ways. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll be in prayer and you'll be waiting and the Holy Spirit will bring the impression um, upon your heart of what he wants to say. Sometimes, for me, I don't know what it is for other people, sometimes you would be maybe out walking or out in the car or you'd meet someone and as you're speaking, there is suddenly an impression of the Holy Spirit, a thought, a, a word, a, a sentence, something then suddenly is quickened to your heart and as that's quickened to your heart, it's like a seed. It's like the seed of the Holy Ghost. And so that's there. And then you go home and then you sit down and you begin to wait and you begin to pray and you begin to turn to God's Word. I've found over the years less and less that I would ever turn to books. Not that that's wrong, but I just find that I just wait and then I begin to go through the Word of God and God begins to direct. And then it begins to grow, and then it begins to develop, and then God begins to lead. And as you wait, God puts the, if you like, the meat on the bone and the skin, and it begins to become what is a message from the Lord. And God has often, and I'm sure it's the same for everybody else, this has happened sometimes. God would speak in a moment, like in the most unusual places. God would just speak. And I'm standing, I know I'm having a conversation with someone uh, in my head and my mouth, but in my heart, then the Lord has impressed something. And the reason why I'm sharing this is this is one of those times that it was just I was out and about. And uh, so I met a lovely brother in the Lord and we were talking for a few minutes. And, you know, he's a lovely, lovely, lovely man loves the Lord, and we're just sharing and talking about the things of God, and it's always lovely. He's, he's from a different denomination, but he loves the Lord. He's a brother in Christ, and we're just sharing. And so we, we get this towards the end of the conversation, and he turned to me and he said these words. 
He said, household salvation is not guaranteed to anyone. So we carried on talking for a few minutes and uh, where my head was and where my heart was, I can tell you it's two different places. Anyone ever been there? (laughs) So I was, I left, but I knew as that was said, and I know it's always important to be careful in, again, when you're preaching, you don't preach in reaction. You've got to know what God's saying because then you can very easily fall into your flesh and you're just... So I went home and uh, I was sure about Nikki for a moment and... Wow, there's this battle. Real... Storm, so I, but this doesn't leave, and I knew God and impressed something upon my heart. It's not entirely on this subject, but there was a principle that God showed me through this word and through what happened that I believe is going to help so many this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we brought that message just regarding leaving Saul. And to leave Saul, then you have to work out or live out the reality of that victory, that freedom. It's more than a song. song's important. It's more than what we say in church. That's important. But it's living this every day. And as much as many came forward to say, I'm going to leave that. But then we have to walk in the victory of that. Isn't that right? And that can be something different. In Acts chapter 16, so I start to go through the Word of God because what governs us this morning, have you got a Bible? Would you lift it up? Have you got a Bible? I know it's on phones and everything else. It's okay, I believe you. You're not texting. But praise the Lord, you've got a Bible this morning. Our lives are governed by God's Word. That's an important thing. Not by what man says. Okay, this is really important. So Acts chapter 16, verse 25 All these things start flooding through my soul, if you like. Acts 16.25, we know Paul and Silas. We know the story well. They're cast into the prison. They've been beaten. They've been uh, bruised and everything else. And it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises unto God. The prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loosed. Praise the Lord. That's what happens when the Holy Ghost comes. The bands are loosed. The keeper of the prison woke out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword. He would have committed suicide supposing that the prisoners had fled. And Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's what he said, the prison keeper. And they said, Paul said unto him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then was it say, Would you say it out loud? That's what Paul preached, right? That's what Paul preached. Thou shalt be saved and thy house. So this is going, this obviously, obviously there's, 
I'm not saying this against this precious brother today. Please understand. But this is, this is what I'm living. Do you understand what I'm saying? So then I start to think, Paul, Peter, Peter had a vision. Peter seen this blanket. There was all clean animals. Say, Lord, I can't, I can't eat of that. I can't. I, and the Lord says, you, you'll eat what I, what I have deemed to be clean and what is, I have deemed to be a, that you can consume. You'll eat this. And the whole revelation of the gospel coming to the Gentiles came. And there was a man that was praying and he seen in a vision and he seen Peter coming to his house. And we read of it in Acts chapter 11, this vision, this meeting with Cornelius. If you turn over to Acts 11, and it says there in verse 11, when Peter is telling what happened or testifying, immediately there were with him three men already come into the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee these Tell, tell thee words whereby thy and, what does it say there? It says, no, no, it didn't say thy house. It said all thy house. Isn't that what it said? Did, did it say that? And all thy house shall be saved. So now we're establishing, I'll read the next part because it's, it's actually lovely. Verse 15, and as they began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as it was on us in the beginning. Just like Pentecost. This was the pattern. This was the reality. And I remembered, then I remembered the word of the Lord that he said, John indeed will baptize with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God when they heard these things? They held their peace, glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance on the life. So Paul preached, and Peter preached. If you go back to Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, we love this. This is a, such a wonderful story of God's supernatural work. There's a woman called Lydia, a seller of purple which of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. And it says in verse 14 there, whose heart the Lord opened. Isn't that really just, isn't that something so precious? Here is the supernatural, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. God opened her heart. And she besought us, sorry, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and then what does it say? And her household. So household or house is all the inhabitants of that particular house. So Peter is preaching salvation of households. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. Paul also was preaching Thou shalt be saved and thy house. And we see in practice that Lydia, whose heart was opened, she was saved, baptized, and her whole house was saved and baptized with her. Were these apostles preaching 
a gospel. Why were these apostles preaching a gospel that not only saved the individual, but they believed that it saved the individual and the entire house? If it's not the plan of God to save households, did the early church take it upon themselves to preach something that was not promised to them? And so, of course, if I could go into the natural mind for a moment, where the battle is in the mind. Well, are you saying this morning, because this is what you'll hear, so I'm going to just talk it out if you don't mind. Are you saying this morning then, well, I know people who are saved, but their families didn't get saved. I know people this morning that, well, you're saying about healing. You believe in divine healing. Anyone believe in divine healing? You believe in divine healing. But I know people that were prayed for and they weren't healed. Do you believe that God wants to save everyone? I actually do. But is everyone saved? No. Yet, we are governed by what this morning? Have you got a Bible? Are you governed by God's word? So the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish. In other words, that God's purpose plan of salvation is that every person in Balna Hinch, every person associated with your family, every person that you work with, every person in Ulster, Ireland, United Kingdom, and the world over, it is the purpose of God that every one of those people will be saved. I believe that this morning. I actually really do believe that. I don't believe in limited atonement or atonement just for the chosen. I am chosen, but if I could tell you this morning who is and who isn't, then I'm God, and I'm not God, but I believe that his plan of salvation is for all. So the Bible says regarding healing, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, you know these verses very well, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness. And it says these lovely words, by whose stripes ye were, what does it say, healed. Now the reality of it is, of course, that we know that not everyone is healed when we pray for them to be healed. Some have been wondrously, gloriously delivered from this present world into the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and are walking the streets of gold and they are basking in the glory of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone tells you that's defeat, you understand what I'm saying? They have been promoted to glory. That is the ultimate deliverance for us that we go to be with him. We are absent from the body. Present with the Lord. What a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be. It's not defeat. We may grieve. We may grieve the loss. We may say, but God, we prayed and we believed and they, they, they have gone from us. But God has an eternal purpose and plan that we cannot see often. And there's a wee song that says, there's a voice that's calling me from an old rugged tree. And it says, whisper. It whispers, come closer to me. Then it says, whatever it takes, what's God doing? to make my heart break, then that's what I'm, I'm willing to do. 
So some suffer affliction for a greater purpose in God and the revelation of grace working in their lives. Paul, the apostle who's seen many, many wonderful miracles, divine healings, himself suffered with an ailment. We don't know what it was. Many believe it may have been blindness, but he was given a thorn in the flesh for a purpose. What was that purpose? If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, we'll see something of the workings and the dealings of God that only God knows why, because he's God. Second yeah, Corinthians 12 and 7, Unless I should be exalted above measures through the abundance of the revelations that he received, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Would God do that? God did do that. Yeah, Lest I should be exalted above measure, there was a work of grace being done in his life. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, what? What did he say? My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, he said, I will rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want to say, in the subject of healing, we believe divine healing is provided for every one of us in the atonement. It is God's will to heal. Can I also say this morning, and we have seen wonderful, miraculous healings in this church, haven't we? Thank God this morning. Recently, Tommy, Brother Stephen of cancer, Sister Leanne of her disease, I still can't pronounce it, I'm sorry, but... Many miracles of what God has done in Jonathan's life and others. He's touched us. He's healed us. He's delivered us. He's he provided for us. But I also know that I've seen and witnessed something that is wonderful to see, but it's not necessarily wonderful for the person who goes through it. And often they don't feel that they're in any sense of victory in going through it. But I've witnessed the grace of God in their life as a testimony of God's hand upon them and bringing them through their affliction. Do you know what I'm talking about? We have witnessed that in this church. I don't want to mention names, but we have seen that God's hand, they don't feel that, but we have seen the grace of God in their affliction, that God has given them a measure of grace and the power of Christ is upon them as they continue to walk and serve the Lord, even in their affliction. And God's doing an eternal purpose in their life. Can I tell you something? In a moment, God can lift that affliction. In one moment. But the divine purpose of God is at work. And so we come, we heard of it this morning, to the earlier, like the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said these words, and we know it, would you quote it with me? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Word of God says in Acts 1 and verse 4, this is what Jesus said, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But what did He say? Wait for the promise of the Father. Here is a promise in God's Word. And many people believe the Bible this morning in this house. We believe the Word of God. We believe the full account, Genesis to Revelation. 
It's absolutely truth. It's infallible, inerrant. It's the word of the living God. It's a living word. God says, here's a promise. Wait for the promise of the Father. God gave them a promise. Let me say it this way. God gave us a promise. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. What was that promise? What was he referring to? He was referring to John chapter 14 and verse 16. And this is what he said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This is the Holy Ghost. This was the promise. This is a promise from God. Many people believe that promise. Well, Tim, but not everyone's baptized in the Holy Ghost. So does it mean that the promise was for some? Does it mean that it's only something for the Pentecostals? No. What about these promises that are all available to us and they are made possible through the covenant of his blood? That's what makes the promise available to us, the part of the blood of Jesus Christ, because this is the New Testament in his blood the validity of the, of the promise is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we sing it, and the blood has lost none of his ancient power. So the blood, the blood of Christ seals the covenant. And this morning there's a promise for us. That promise is in his blood. So let me, let me go a bit further. I know it's not maybe very coherent, but I want you to stay with me. The Bible says in John 8 and 36, this is a very well-known verse. We sing about it often. But I want you to follow this this morning. John 8, 36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, what shall you be? It's not what the Word of God says. How many people believe that this morning? Honestly, how many people believe that? This is what make you free means. It means that you will be unrestrained no longer a slave. You will be freeborn. You will be set free. You will be liberated. That's what it says. If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. That's the Word of God, and we believe that. Let me ask about the reality. Many people are free. Don't, don't put your hand up or down. This in your heart. No, I want to be, I want this to be real. I don't want a pretense. I, I don't want a fake church. I don't want us to try to pretend that we're free when we're not free. I don't want us to sing the songs if the songs don't mean something in our lives. I don't want it to be a sham. Do you want it to be a sham? Because the world knows a sham and the world has shams all around it. We want it to be a reality, isn't that right? So Jesus said, here's God's word it's, and it's written in the New Testament and it's guaranteed and the, and the efficacy of the blood and the power of the blood of Christ brings the reality of this verse. If the Son, Jesus Christ, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Listen. Listen. Are you free? 
No, are you free? This is the Word of God. This is the truth of God. This is the power of God's Word. This is the reality of God's Word in our lives. The devil believes. We believe this to be God's Word. It's true. But are you free? No, no, are you free? I'm talking about this morning and the depths of your heart and the reality of your life and your daily walk. Not talking about sinless perfection. Not talking about that we are, we are perfect in Christ, but I'm talking about this life. And I can say this morning, well, I believe God's Word. It's the Bible and it's true. But that Word has to be a living reality in my life. I have to walk this. I have to live this. I have to walk in the liberty and the freedom that He says He has for me. So many today aren't. So many today aren't. The reality in our hearts, we can sing the songs. I'm not pleased this morning. This is not a word to condemn you. This is a word. God does not want you to live a life of pretense. God wants us to know this liberty and the reality of this liberty that you can walk and live a victorious life in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what he's purchased. So are you free? Do we believe it? Are we free? Many, and I know this story's been used often, but I, I believe it shows maybe something of what we're talking about. Many would identify with Lazarus when he was called out of the grave. We've been delivered out of the grave. Glory to God. We've been delivered out of the part of darkness. Hallelujah. And then he walked around in grave clothes. Is that what God's purpose is for your life this morning? To walk around in grave clothes? To walk around in death and religion and tradition of men? To walk around with besetting sin and things that hinder you and hold you back and hold you down? To walk around in a place of defeat and no victory? We heard Joe read it this morning, our faith, even our victory. And we walk around in that defeat, but yet we know we've been delivered. We know we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and we're not living in the fullness of what Christ has for us. We walk around like Lazarus, the grave clothes. What did Jesus say? Loose him and let him go. Let him be free this morning. There was a wee girl burst through the doors last Sunday morning and the men of the prayer meeting went, Yes! Can you imagine an adult doing that? What she expressed physically as a child should be what we are spiritually. The grave clothes. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says these words, For sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law but ye are under grace in other words the new covenant truth and grace would bring us into a place that the lord of our lives is no longer sin the lord of our lives is jesus christ full of grace full of truth the word dominion simply means authority or rule or controller of your life sin controls your life Sin's your Lord. 
You are a slave to sin. And the Bible says, God's word says, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, you're under grace. What has happened by the grace of God, he brings the fullness of all what Christ has achieved on the cross and brings it as a revelation into your heart and breaks not only that you're forgiven of your sins past, but breaks the power of sin present. Not just that I have been, thank God, that all my sins are under the blood, but the power of sin in my life is broken by the power of the blood of Jesus. Are you living under the lordship of sin? The dominion of sin? Friends, I want this to be real. Do you want it to be real? The world sees the sham. How do I live this out? How do I make it a reality? I want to take some very basic principles and help us this morning and all these things that I'm talking about Ultimately, the promises of God. How? Because we believe the promises, don't we? Don't we believe the promises? Don't we believe God's word? But I want what it says on the page to be a living reality in my life. Do you? That's surely that's your desire. If that desire is not there, brother or sister, then I say this graciously to you. Then we need to pray. Because the new birth brings the desire to live according to God's word. That's what it brings. That's the reality. We're not perfect. But the desire is, I don't want to live in a pigsty anymore. I want to go out drinking and being a hood and riding with cops. And I don't want to have a filthy mouth anymore. I don't want to be looking at filthy things anymore. I don't want to be telling filthy jokes anymore. I don't want to be walking the way of the world anymore. Because I've been set free from that. I want to live in the good of what Christ has for me. And the victory that he has for us. And the book tells me what that is. And so it has to be more than something what I read or that I learn or I quote. It has to be a reality, doesn't it? And is it? So here's the first basic principle that our lives must be governed by the Word of God. Must be. Everything is subject to the book. Because what is happening very subtly in the church today is that the church is no longer governed by the Word of God, which is the supreme authority in all matters, is God's words. Isn't that right, Frank? Yes, God. Frank told me that maybe 20 years ago when I started going out with Nicky. The supreme authority in every local assembly is God's Word, and that's the truth. But it's not only the supreme authority for our lives. That book has to become a living thing in us. So we're governed by the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. The word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light to my path. That's the word of God. We need the word, don't we, in these days? People will be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Can I tell you, that's not understanding all things about eschatology. That's about knowing Jesus and his word. People will be destroyed because they don't turn to the book. So in this struggle of some of the things that I've covered this morning, 
Here's God's word. I'll be governed by that. But here's the reality of where my life is. You understand what I'm saying? Here's the promise. Here's the word. And here's the reality of what in my natural eye, what I see, what I feel, what I think, what, how I live. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I'm governed by the word of the Lord. Household salvation is not promised to anyone. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. This is what it says. I want you to follow it this morning. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. Possess what? We would think land. But it wasn't land, it was promise. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We immediately think that was land. It wasn't. It was promise, but that was the land. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome. How do we overcome? Did we not hear it this morning? It's our faith. But the men that went up with them said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we And they brought up an evil report. Now, that evil report means simply they slandered the promise. That's what that word means, to slander the promise. Here's what Proverbs says concerning slander. Proverbs 10, 18. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. When people in unbelief begin to question the promises of God. God calls them, according to his word, a fool. Because they're slandering what God says. They're slandering the word of the Lord. And so they brought an evil report saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up inhabitants thereof. And all the people that saw it so in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came, come from the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. There was an evil report. Numbers chapter 14, it says in verse 36, two men out of two million, two men out of two million we're governed by God's word. Just two. We're governed by the word of the Lord. Just two. Well, the most are doing this, and the majority is doing that. I'm well aware of that. But there's going to be a few that are going to be governed by God's word. And I want to be, I'll be one of the few. By the grace of I want to be one of the few. So it says, the men which Moses sent, verse 36 of Numbers 14, search out the land who returned to meet all the congregation to murmur against them by bringing up a slander upon the land. They slandered the promises of God. You'll meet them all the time. You'll meet them on the streets. You'll meet them in churches. We don't believe in divine healing. We don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That was for the apostles. Our church statement of faith doesn't say that. We don't believe in all the... We don't believe, we don't believe. What are they doing? They're slandering the promises of God. That's what they're doing. And what you begin to do is go, there's this conflict because if, 
If you're facing something like the way we are at the minute on one particular area, and I've covered a whole lot this morning, in your natural eye, you're looking at what you see. I'm looking at what I see in the natural eye. And the eye of faith, the eye of my heart, and sometimes their spiritual cataracts begin to grow over it and our faith becomes blurred. It sees that which cannot be seen. Isn't that right? Isn't that faith this morning? Friends, do we need faith? But why do we need faith? Because we're believing something that's impossible with us. So what do we need? We need to be able to see. And what happens? Our vision becomes blurred. And we begin to focus on that which we see. And when we focus on that which we see, what happens? Our hearts begin to sink. Unbelief begins to sink in. Doubt and fear and despair and unbelief. and all. Maybe only happens to me, but it happens. And so you're looking at the reality and you're saying, God, in our own selves, we're weak, we're, we're not able, we cannot. But Lord, we turn again and be governed by what your word says. What happens when we start to look at the word of God and shut out the voices of men and the traditions of men? Do you know what happens? We begin to see more clearly through the eyes of faith. And the promises of God. We align ourselves and we are going to be governed by what he says in his word. And so all of a sudden, sight comes. The anointing on our eyes, our spiritual eyes, gives us sight. Because faith is not what we see, it's what we don't see. Isn't that right? And so it says that they slandered upon the land. Even those men that did bring up an evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Then it says, But Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search out the land, says two wonderful words about them, lived still. They lived on. They lived in the victory. Where did these men preach? Or why did these men preach? Thou shalt be saved and thy house. Why do you think they preached that? They preached it because it was a promise. That's why they preached it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. I'm preaching something that's far from a reality today, by the way. But I'm going to preach it anyway. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Ghost, when they were convicted of sin, said these words, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Could you read verse 39 with me again out loud? For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Peter preached the promise. It's good to preach the promises, isn't it? 
But sometimes the promises of what we're preaching are far from the reality of what we're living. Isn't that true? So what's required? There's faith. But what kind of faith? Well, there's only one faith. But how does it work? Remember, Joel said in Joel 2.28, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your... What are they going to do? Go and prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. The Bible says all the promises of God are in him and yea, and in him, amen, under the glory of God by us. Everything of the word of what we preach, what we sing, what we believe, are all in Christ, yea, and amen, all in him. So the word of God, we're going to be governed by it, first of all. Number two, what must he do? The word of God also will bring faith into our hearts. When it's preached, it brings faith. I don't need faith for what I see. It's what I don't see. Isn't that right? And that's a hard one. Because many of us are facing, let me just ask the question, how many are honestly facing something that's completely impossible? Thanks, Tommy's got two hands up to help the rest of you. Completely impossible. What I see is as far from what God says he has promised. Isn't that right? Is that what many of you are facing? May not be household salvation, maybe something else. But the word and faith, I want you to hear this word. This is really important. It's the first time I've heard it or came across it. And when I come across a word I've never heard before, I put my English teacher to test. So I go to Nikki and I said, have you ever heard of this word before? She usually goes, yeah, I've heard that before. But this time she said she'd never heard it before. So it's like, yes. Here's a word. It's called commingle. Anyone ever heard of that English word? Commingle? What a word this is. Don't forget it. But this is important. Remember, we're governed by the word of God. Secondly, here's a principle for leaving our souls, apprehending or laying hold of the promises. And how then I'm going to live this? How I'm going to walk through this valley? How I'm going to stand in this fiery furnace? How I'm going to believe for unsaved loved ones? How I'm going to believe for healing? How I'm going to believe for the baptism in the Holy Ghost? I am going to believe that when he says he sets me free, I'm going to be free. Not because I say it, because the power of the Holy Ghost is going to move in my life and I'm going to walk in victory. Commingle. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 16, I want to pull out the principle of this this morning in faith. Hebrews 3.16 and again, we're referring to those that did not enter in because of their unbelief. But Hebrews 3.16 says, For some when they had heard did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? 
and to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us. Now stop for a moment. There's promises that we have talked about this morning. The promise of the Holy Ghost. The promise of household salvation. The promise of divine healing in the atonement. The promise that you will not live under the lordship of sin, but you will be free in Jesus Christ. The promise, these are the promises of God that we stand upon, that Christ has accomplished on the cross and given them for us. And he's left us a promise. The wonderful promise of salvation is for all. Isn't that right? So here's a promise that's been left for you. Here's a promise that God wants to save you. Here's a promise that God wants to fill you with the power of the Holy Ghost. Here's a promise that God wants to heal you this very morning. Here's a promise that God wants to save our loved ones. He's left us a promise. Then it says, A promise left, being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached. I'm drawing the principle here. For unto us was the gospel preached, the full gospel, the gospel that saves, the gospel that baptizes in the Holy Ghost, the gospel that heals from diseases and sickness, the gospel of victory over sin and the devil and the world. This is the gospel. It's a full gospel. So many today, friends, are, well, I made a decision when I was young and I sit in a church every week. I go in and out and there's nothing more. Can I tell you something? Thank God for salvation. It's absolutely everything. But there's so much more in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he leaves us a promise. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Not laying hold of it. Not entering into it. Not experiencing it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Here's, the, here's real critical what I'm talking about this morning. But the word preached, the word of the Lord did not profit them. Listen, it's so important. This is crucial. Because people could live a whole life of not moving into the fullness of what Christ has for them for this reason. They believe the promise. They believe God's word. They lifted their Bible this morning. I believe what you say, Tim. I believe in the word of God. I believe this to be the truth. I'm saved, but not entering into the fullness of that, the promise being left to them. Why? But the word preached did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith and them that heard it. This is really important. It's simple and it's basic, I know. But this is crucial. It did not profit them. What does that mean? If I preach this morning divine healing, and you say, I believe that, but you, you who have been given a measure of faith by the Holy Ghost in your heart, 
If all it is that you say, amen, I believe that, and you go out this door, but there actually isn't a mixture of the faith in your heart to the promise of God this morning, that it's mingled together. That's where the word commingle comes in the original Greek. That it's not mixed that I lay hold of this this morning. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. you got to do something. Oh, I just enjoy the messages every week. Boom, boom, boom. And the promises are preached and you believe their promises, but they never co-mingle in your life. And so they're no advantage to you. I heard you pray. You preached that before. I've heard you preach that a hundred. You preach Book of Acts every week. Why do you preach it every week? Because we're still not living in the reality of it. And so it does not profit them. Because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. The words there mixed with faith is a word in the Greek that means to commingle. Commingle. That you have faith and there's a promise. But if the faith and the promise never come together and they're mixed together, then the miracle that only God can do cannot happen because there's no mixture of this. We have a head knowledge of the promises and we have faith in our heart, but the promises and the faith must mix together and then the power of God moves. It means to blend thoroughly into a harmonious whole. They can't be two separate things. They have to come together and there has to be a mixture. And if you're saved this morning, you have faith. Otherwise, you couldn't have been saved. Isn't that right? There's no miracle until the commingle. And so when there's faith in the promise and we believe and they mingle together in our hearts, then it rises within us to say, God, this looks dark and this looks bleak. But I'm going to believe in a God and trust you when you say in Ephesians 3 and 20, Now on to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God. Where does it work? It works in us. So i got to trust him. Like many of you, I do not see the fruit of the faith or the fruit of the promise. I don't feel strong. Anyone want to join the I don't feel strong group? It's all right. I don't feel that I've got a lot of oomph to fight the fight. But I do know one thing. I know God's able. And I know that I have a measure of faith in the promises of God. And I need to commingle the promise and the faith this morning and believe God for the miracle. Because that's how it works. You know, a couple of weeks ago, this is a journey, isn't it? Many of you do not have, are in a position where we are believing for unsaved loved ones. Many of you, like us, are praying. And when you pray, your prayers seem to make it worse, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to tell you something. 
I believe in the promise that thou shalt be saved and thy house. And whether hell screams in my ear that that's a lie, or whether church people tell me you can't claim that this morning, brothers and sisters, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to believe it. And the Bible says that God will avenge his own elect to cry on them both day and night. And I don't feel maybe sometimes like getting up and pressing through. But brothers and sisters, I thank God for the prayers of God's people. And I want to believe for the promises that our sons and our daughters will be brought into the kingdom of God. They'll be wonderfully saved, set free, and filled with the Holy Ghost and power. I was down a trench out the back two Tuesday nights ago. God speaks to me in the most peculiar places. I told you that. And it started a wee hole. The big strong guys came later on. They finished it off. But I was down the trench. And as I'm down there, I'm just, you don't mind, but I'm down the trench. And I got down a good wee bit. Not very much, but I felt it was a long way down. But I stopped anyway. And then suddenly, you know, suddenly then it started coming, you know, oh, you're going to need... 20,000 for that, 30,000 for that, 50,000 for that. This middle part could be 60,000. That insulation, that plumber, he's looking 11,000. I don't know where you think like me, but that's what I was thinking. I'm going, now that hole started to get deeper as I'm standing there. And then God spoke. You see, this is what I love about God because I'm getting deeper and deeper. I probably, if you had a key in within an hour, a few minutes, I'd probably just been laying in the trench. <laughs> I said, fill it in. <laughs> But I was going deeper down, deeper down. And then God speaks. You know what he said? That's not your problem. That's mine. Boy, I started digging again. <laughs> Just believe him. It's not, I can't save anyone. But he does want me to commingle faith in the promise. If it's for the baptism in the Holy Ghost, I want to tell you, I'm going to be governed by this. Well, I've been praying for years. I want to tell you, keep praying. Co-mingle the promise with your faith in your heart. I'm believing for healing. Let me tell you, I have watched and you have watched in this church the grace of God in lives. It has been a testimony of the grace of God. They don't feel, if you talk to them about it, they feel, oh, I'm such a failure. I'm such a, and all you see out of those lives is the savor of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see those nasses coming in, that wee girl sick, and yet they're all piling through the door, still serving the Lord, still in the house of God. You look at Ruth Annett for seven years in the old building, crawling on her hands and knees, coming into the house of God. Her mummy and daddy's hearts are broke, but seven years they went through that by the grace of God. God brought them through. She's married and serving the Lord. You see Joanna coming through those doors. Sometimes she's staggering all up and down the aisle, but by the grace of God, she walks into the house of God, and then you hear the prayer around the table. Oh God, I thank you that you saved me. What I'm saying this morning, brothers, I can't answer everything because I'm not God. But I do know that there's promises in this book this morning that we can stake our whole lives and eternity on. And by the faith of God in those promises, not just the promises are stuck up on our wall, but they're commingled with faith this morning. And by the power of God, you know, there's a man standing in a valley. We heard about it. And the valley's dead dry. God says, you prophesy. 
Oh, I tell you, friends, I tell you, we do not see any evidence of a move of the Spirit of God in the sense that the land is being plundered deep and deep into darkness and sin and wickedness beyond our imagination. But let me tell you something. Suddenly, 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 when the wind blows across the land, men are born of the Spirit and revival comes. Friends, let's look to him this morning. Let's believe him. God hasn't finished yet. Let's trust him together this morning. Let's stand. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.